before I start, thank you for praying for me. I've had a pretty uh, yeah, rough trot of sickness over the last month and a half, COVID and then shingles over the last two weeks. And uh, uh, you must have been praying a lot because my shingles was significantly subdued compared to what other people tell me. Uh, I was not in agony, a little bit discomforted, but uh, not in agony like some people can be. So thank you for praying. Also during that time, I have been engaged while I've been at home in uh, a number of uh, interesting um, submissions from our denomination, Presbyterian Church of Victorian Australia, in where we stand in relation to sexuality and particularly in relation to uh, uh, exemptions from the Anti-Discrimination Act for religious institutions that we might be able to continue to teach and practice what we believe is true, particularly in the area of sexuality. And some of these things have come into the public arena and have stirred up a hornet's nest. And not surprising, because what we actually believe and teach is so contrary to what the world has established and seen progressively unfolding in the last few decades particularly. And I have felt, as long as sorry, not, uh, with other members of our committee, significantly um, challenged, uh, sometimes intimidated by things that people have said. But, uh, you know, this is not to be surprising. And this is one of the sad things. I've just been writing a paper with uh, another fellow of this committee on persecution. And, you know, the Bible says everyone who seeks to lead a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be uh, suddenly thrown off course because uh, we're persecuted, we're opposed, we're uh, contradicted in what we believe because we belong to another kingdom. It's the kingdom of God the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom that Jesus Christ came to establish on earth. And we've just prayed, as I said, your kingdom come. And that kingdom will be in conflict with the kingdom of this world. And we'll see why as we look through this message. Today, we are facing the most sustained attack upon godly authority we have ever known in our lifetime. doesn't matter how old you are. You might have been through world wars and all the rest of it, but you will not have experienced the same attack on godly authority in your lifetime as we're experiencing right now in the world. The most incredible worldwide movement opposing the authority of God. The scriptures tell us that in the days that prepare for the coming of the Lord Jesus, the world will be overtaken by forces of darkness and deception and lawlessness will increase as Satan rises up to steal the position he has pursued. The Bible reveals this to us. Satan, the devil, is seeking to Uh, reach a position in this world and the Bible unfolds to us how this is going to take place 
And Paul reminds the Thessalonian Christians, this is in 2 Thessalonians 2, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, now being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. You know, the coming of the Lord Jesus is soon. How do I know that? Because it tells me in the book of Revelation, Jesus says to John on the island of Patmos, I am coming soon. Well, we've been waiting 2,000 years. Uh, 2,000 years, of course, for Jesus is, is still soon. He's coming soon. So we're not to be alarmed or shaken or uh, kind of suddenly disturbed by the realities of what will take place in the preparation for the return of Jesus. Either by a spirit or a spoken word, a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. No, no. Let no one deceive you, says Paul, in, in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. Unless the rebellion comes first. And what we are witnessing right now in the world is a massive move of rebellion against God, against his authority, against his truth, we're witnessing it take place. And we're, we're, we're in the midst of it right now. It's growing increasingly. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. You know, I told uh, the congregation, for those who were here at the start, that dream of the lady in our church uh, over the last week or so, who had a dream of a hand reaching out and slaying people, killing them, this hand. And she was in her dream trying to get away from this hand. And she saw on this hand 666. No rest. Driven. If you are being driven at the moment, be careful. God does not drive, he leads. The drivenness in the world is motivated by Satan himself. He drives because his number is 666. There's no seven. There's never the seventh day. There's never the day of rest. As I said this morning when I witnessed people bringing all their children to a massive sporting event on Sunday, I thought there's no rest in this world. God has appointed a day for us to rest. And this man of lawlessness, which of course is going to reject the whole idea of a day of rest, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God. That's what Satan is going to do. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, says Paul, I told you these things. So we know that what is happening right now in the world, what is happening to us in our country and other countries of the world, is actually taught to us in the scriptures. This is going to happen. Rebellion. So today I want to look with you about godly authority. What is godly authority? Where does it come from? And the authority is so important for us to recognize and to... Uh, to see how it is formed and to yield ourselves. I think as Bridgie was sharing in the, um, 
in the children's talk, Jesus, in his prayer in Gethsemane, yields himself to God's authority. Not my will, but thine be done. We sang earlier on the service, I surrender all. Well, godly authority is clearly identified at the very beginning of the Bible. See, God who created the heavens and the earth. He says this in Genesis 1.26. Let us make man in our image. Oh, you don't know how important those words are in the first chapter of the Bible. Let us make man in our image and let them have dominion. Let them have authority. Let them rule. This is why I love the Presbyterian Church, my brothers and sisters. We have a number of faults and failures, but there's one thing I love about our church structure. It is based on that verse. That verse. You see, the first uh, thing God does when he makes man is give man authority. He transfers his authority over to man, but not man in terms of male without female. Because God is a plurality of persons. As I was saying in Bible study this week, the first name of God is Elohim. It is a Hebrew noun and it's plural. Elohim, God, created the heavens and the earth. It tells us right in the beginning that God is a plurality of persons. He's not a singular person. And as the scriptures unfold, we have three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A plurality of persons, and as I said on on Wednesday, it's interesting that plural noun is almost always connected with a singular verb. Isn't that amazing? A plural noun with a singular verb. Absolutely no independence in the exercise of God's authority. No independence. In the three members of God, they are totally united and act as one with singular verbs. And genuine authority, and you've seen all across the world in the history of the world where authority is corrupted, usually mostly it comes about through singular exercises of authority, dictatorships, or people that rule on their own. Well, here it is. Let us make man in our image and let them have dominion. Let them have dominion. And this principle of authority exercised as a plurality of persons in total unity with one another is basically the structure of our church. It's based on uh, the Reformation times when the church uh, was reviewed in the way it had pursued uh, uh, what it understood to be following God and set up popes and individual people in authority who ruled singularly, 
And in the Reformation, it was recognised this is all wrong. The exercise of authority needs to be done with a plurality of persons who come to unity and make decisions. So that's why I love the Presbyterian Church. Like Stephen Lungu said when he came here many years ago, I love the Presbyterian Church. It's kicked me out four times, but I love this church. I love the Presbyterian Church. But let's just go back to Genesis 1. God forms authority in bringing about the existence of a man and a woman, a male and a female, whom he calls to join together to exercise authority. Essentially, marriage is absolutely the foundation of godly authority. You'll see uh, we read Titus chapter 1 in our reading this morning. And it's the call to establish authority in the church. And the call is to, uh, from Paul to Titus, to appoint elders who are to be the husband of one wife. One of the crucial things is they must have learned to exercise authority. Now, Edward's sitting there thinking, oh dear, that discounts him. The principle here is that that person must know how to exercise authority, not singularly, but collectively together. In unity, not just pursuing his own agenda or her own agenda or his agenda or my agenda, but finding out from God, actually, his agenda. And this is the basis of all godly authority. Every new marriage, actually, is intended to be the establishment of a new basis of authority in this world. And you will see from the children's memory verse, children, obey your friends, neighbours, teachers. No, 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 no. Children, obey your parents. Because that's where God has entrusted authority. And if you're a parent, realise that's a high calling of God to exercise authority. But you see, that's not how it all unfolded. And I'm going to run you through now, hopefully, some slides from Free Bible Images. I love this uh, ministry. Okay, in the beginning, God created everything. He put two trees in the midst of the garden, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he placed the man and the woman in the garden. But the woman was... Tempted by the serpent, who's described as more crafty than any other creature the Lord had made. And you'll see, what is the purpose of the serpent? What is he trying to achieve in this temptation of the woman and the man? What actually does he want to do? He tempts the woman. She looks at the tree. It looks very attractive, actually. It looks the tree. The fruit was not poisonous. It wasn't the fruit that killed them, was it? God made everything he had made. It wasn't poisonous fruit. That was good for food. She ate it. But God had told them not to eat it. It was the disobedience of the one in authority 
that actually caused the problem. And so the woman, yes, she looked at it and she had a bit of a discussion with the serpent. What is the Bible telling us in Genesis chapter 3? It is telling us there is a personality, if you like, in this, in this way is presented as the serpent, but in the Bible unfolded as Satan, the devil. I hope you believe the devil is real because there are a lot of people who do not. A lot of people who dismiss the reality of the spiritual realm and the activity of Satan and his agents of destruction, deception, The Bible unfolds to us the whole dimension of the spiritual realm. God is spirit himself. Well, here is Satan. What is he trying to accomplish? As he gets the man and the woman to eat of the fruit that they were not meant to eat from and disobey the one in authority. What is he trying to do? He's trying to bring them under his authority. He is telling them what to do. And he wants to rule. Suddenly, the man and the woman realize, having disobeyed God, I loved what um, our friend shared in the, uh, uh, in the discussion on mental health about how the fig leaves were to cover the shame. And so many things are fig leaves in our lives, covering up the actual real root of the problem, which is sin disobedience, rebellion. We use all sorts of things to do it. And the man and the woman were trying desperately hard to cover themselves up because they had rebelled. But, oh, I've gone too far. Sorry about that. You know, God speaks to them. Where are you, Adam? Where are you? You've stepped out of my authority. You're no longer in connection with me. You've run away and hidden. That's what happens when we rebel so easily. We feel, oh no, if that's found out what I've done or what's happened to me or what's really going corrupting in my heart, I'll have to hide it somehow. We run away. That's why the Bible teaches us to walk in the light as God is in the light because he has provided a way, as we'll see, to redeem us So we can exercise authority under him. But we have to deal with our sin. And the serpent, the woman, the man says, of course, the woman is the problem. Then the woman says, the serpent deceived me. And God curses the serpent and says, it will be on the dust of the earth. And then he says in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman will crush the head of of the serpent. The seed of the woman is going to destroy the authority of the serpent. Crush the head. The head is the symbol of authority. That's why husbands are called to be the heads of their households. They're the symbol of authority. They're not the authority on its own, but they're they're to exercise that role in union with their wife, not singularly. But the seed of The woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. God tells us right in the very first book of the Bible that the seed of the woman 
who has fallen into sin is going to bring about a destruction of the authority that has been stolen by Satan. And the woman, of course, is deeply ashamed of what she's done. And the man also. The fig leaves are hardly doing the job. So God gives them animal skins. Animal skins. How did he get animal skins? When there was to be no death in his creation, he had to sacrifice something he had made to cover the man and the woman. It was a symbol of what is going to take place. It was a sign of God's willingness to sacrifice for them in order to cover their sinfulness. And they were driven out of the garden. So who is ruling now in the world? Well, the Bible tells us. In 1 John five nineteen, it says, We know that we originate with God, but the whole world is lying in the power of the wicked one. You see, the authority that God entrusted to the man and the woman has been stolen by the serpent or Satan, and he is now ruling. They are not ruling. In fact, they think sometimes they're ruling, but they're ruling under Satan. They're actually exercising his, his, his purpose. And this is happening all over the place. And that's why we have massive rebellion taking place on earth right now. The one called the devil and Satan who is misleading the entire inhabited earth, Revelation 12.9. That's what he's doing right now. He's misleading the entire inhabited earth to bring everyone under his dominion in rebellion of God. And God sent the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman, the one that we have just celebrated his death and resurrection, the one who was born in a stable in Bethlehem, who was placed in a manger. And when the very coming of the Son of God through the Virgin Mary was, was actually taking place on earth, what do you think the ruler of this world was thinking? He was determined to destroy this child even from the beginning. This was the potential overruling of his authority, the removal of his ability to deceive and corrupt mankind. Well, as we know, Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. Who is stirring in Herod? Who is motivating Herod? He sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Do you not see Satan behind this? Absolutely determined to wipe out this potential overthrowing of his authority. But God protected his son and he did it through a man whom he had called to be the husband of his his daughter Mary. He called Joseph to be a husband and 
Oh, if you want to learn how to be a husband, then you need to study the life of Joseph of Nazareth. This man is intimately in fellowship with God and he is hearing God and he is leading his family in righteousness and delivering them from the evil one. He's operating under God's authority in an extraordinary way. Well, when Jesus finally is entrusted into ministry, Here he is, sent into the world to restore godly authority. What does the enemy do when he tempts him in the wilderness? He says to him, all these I'll give you if you bow down and worship me, if you come under my authority. And that's what the devil is doing right now in this world. And I would say to all of us, we are going to be challenged in our areas Will you hold on to your worldly position? Will you hold on to your, your financial security according to the world's description of it and not speak up about things that are not true? Will I, as a minister of the gospel, step aside from saying that homosexuality is an abomination in the eyes of God? I'm live streaming today. This could be my last sermon for you. Will we back away from declaring what is true under God? Will we exercise godly authority? The devil is determined to get Jesus to bow down to him. Why? Because Jesus has come to do something very, very significant. And the marriage of Cana in Galilee in John chapter 2 is the time when Jesus declares his purpose actually. Here is a marriage taking place and Jesus is invited, as I've said to so many, invite Jesus to your wedding. I said to my wife before I married her, Jesus has got to be number one. Jesus has got to be number one. Well, he went to this wedding and the wine ran out. That was a a humiliating thing for the host of this wedding. It was a symbol for the Jewish people that somehow blessing would dissipate in this this marriage. And Jesus' mother comes to him and says, the wine has run out. And Jesus makes a very interesting response to her when she says they have no wine. He says, woman... What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet... What is that hour? Jesus knows that invested in this marriage is meant to be godly authority. But two sinners coming together will exercise the authority of the enemy of God unless he restores them to their rightful place under God. And he knows in every marriage, he knows in every life, that unless we are redeemed by what he will do, we have no authority in his kingdom. We have no ability to exercise godly authority on earth. The one thing in the heart of Jesus is to restore godly authority in this world. His kingdom come, his will be done. 
And so he says, my hour has not yet come. And then he turns and says to the servants to fill these six stone jars that were there for the Jewish rites of purification. What what do you do to purify something? To cleanse your heart. About six to eight hundred litres of water as they filled these stone jars and then found it to be the best wine they'd ever tasted. Pointing to a better wine that Jesus was to take at the Last Supper when his hour had come. For when Jesus is met by Greeks there in Jerusalem or is told the Greeks are wanting to see him, he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Now the authority that was stolen in the beginning will be restored to man. And I, he says, when I am lifted up, will draw all people to myself because the only way you personally can be restored to exercise godly authority is through Jesus. You need your own personal sins cleansed from your heart. You need your rebellion removed from your life. You need to be broken before God and just see how rebellious you are. How we shape up to the word of God when it tells us how to live our lives. Edward prayed this morning as we were in our service beautifully for all of us that we would be of a humble spirit recognizing how easily we rebel against God's authority. And Jesus at the cross is restoring the authority God intended for man in the beginning. The redemption of godly authority is central to the gospel. Well, how does this work itself out in practice? Take, for example, marriage. Why has Satan so attacked marriage as a legal foundation on earth in recent decades? Why has marriage been the focus of attack? Because through marriage, God has entrusted godly authority. Through the coming together of a plurality of his creation, male and female. Why is there such confusion about gender and sexuality and all these things? Because Satan is determined to undermine the authority God has entrusted to a man and a woman in marriage. There is beauty in the relationship God has created. It is wonderfully described in the New Testament. Paul starts his fifth chapter of Ephesians with these words. Therefore, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. And remember, God is a plurality of persons. So even if you are not married... You need to be in fellowship with others who love Jesus to be able to exercise genuine authority, decision-making, 
There's no such thing as an individual Christian who makes decisions on their own. Being willing to come under authority is crucial to hearing what God has to say. Paul in chapter 5 of Ephesians goes on to talk about the marriage relationship and he says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Submission. Here's my wife back there. She gave a beautiful description of submission once. Would you like to do it again? She's shaking her head. I'd love her to do it again. (laughs) She said submission is not obedience. Submission is a matter of the heart. Surrender. That's a totally different thing. That's a very... uh, How would you describe it? You know it better than me. I should use the microphone. For those online, my wife said, you can obey, but in your heart, not be in agreement with your action. Absolutely. It's exactly the same with God. You can obey him reluctantly. That's not submission. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Do you know, wives, this morning, I I want to say this to you. You are entrusted with one of the most incredible examples of reflecting the life of Jesus in this world. And I have seen in families where wives truly submit to their husbands, the children end up embracing Christ. Amazingly embracing Christ. And it's been through the witness, not only of the husband, but very much the wife. And remember, submission is not obedience alone. It is a yieldedness of heart. The husband is the head of the wife. This is God's teaching in the the Bible, the head. What kind of a head is this husband to be? Notice when we go back to the curse of sin in Genesis chapter 3, what God says, this headship is not to be. This is, this is the headship of sinfulness. He says to the woman, your desire will be for your husband or you will seek to take your husband's place. That's what rebellion is. Seeking to take the place, like Satan, trying to take the place of God. That will be the sinful outcome in your life. And he will rule over you. That's a sinful outcome. (laughs) That's not the outcome of headship that Jesus is going to, or Paul is going to describe here in in, in Ephesians chapter 5. Because the headship that a husband is to exercise is beautifully described in verses 25, 26, 27. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church, how did Jesus love the church? How did Jesus win the battle on the cross? 
He kept himself from sin. He kept himself from sin. If you want to love your wife, you need to keep yourself from sin. Now, we're all sinners, so we fall into sin. You need to quickly come to Jesus for forgiveness and cleansing and repent. Like Edward was saying this morning, repenting. If you're watching pornography, if, you're, if it's coming through on your devices, you need to turn it off. You need to never watch it again. If you are allowing Satan to steal the authority away that you're meant to exercise because you are falling into sin and you are not able to love your wife with the love of Christ while sin is in your heart. Love flows out of a pure heart, a good conscience and sincere faith. And husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why is sexuality such a powerful temptation, particularly for men? Because Satan knows that this part of our being is vitally meant to be exercised in showing our love for our wives exclusively. And that's why the devil targets this area of sexuality to undermine the godly heart of a man. But Jesus has come, hasn't he, to die on a cross for your sins. So you can be cleansed and purified and set free and filled with his spirit to exercise his loving, exclusive sexual relationship with your wife only. And then from there, Paul goes on to say that he might sanctify her, that having cleansed himself from sin, that the husband is in a position to exercise such a role that he would exercise words of sanctification for his wife, recognizing when Satan is deceiving her. I need my wife to come to me now, please. And that's not a kind of a demand but this is I just want to show you as an example of what you need to do I know my wife so well she's a beautiful lady but sometimes I can see in her face she's not feeling beautiful she is not feeling very attractive like other people are or something to do with her hair or her wrinkles or whatever it is and I need to say to her you are beautiful to me you need to say it It is words that overcome the words of the enemy who's whispering. I can hear him whispering. I can see it in her face. Thank you. The husband is to sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Washing of water with the word needs to speak the truth in love to his wife to keep her from the craftiness of the evil one. And he hasn't changed. Remember, the Bible describes exactly what happens in this world and the devil will attack the woman. He knows that she's weaker and for a purpose she's weaker because the power of God is made perfect in... Come on, you know better than me. The power of God is made perfect in... Weakness. And what we have today in the world is Satan driving women into strength, not weakness. I was listening to a beautiful lady called Mary Harrington who came out of the lesbian lifestyle and now is just making wonderful, insightful uh, reflections on how the devil has corrupted the thinking of women to a different form to what they were really created to be. 
She talks, her, hers is a feminism of care. It's a beautiful description. She's a feminist in the sense that she wants women to be women. A feminist of care. Instead of one of ruling and reigning and strength and, 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 and making, you know, taking the place of the man. That's exactly what the world is doing. Having cleansed her by washing water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. That is how a husband is to love his wife, to present her to himself in splendor. She's to shine. If your wife is not shining, ask God for help. There's something wrong with the role of the husband. We need to get on our knees. We need to confess our own sin of being distracted by other things, by not listening to them when they're deeply concerned to share something with us. I know, I failed many times. And we're to exercise authority in the unity that God gives us through his spirit. It's actually three persons, husband, wife, and the Holy Spirit, God. Three, just like God himself, exercising authority. And that's why in the church, elders, particularly the description given by Paul, which is establishing godly authority. You know, one of the saddest things that I have seen in the church, in the time that I've been in the church, is the failure of people to recognize the authority, firstly, that's been entrusted to them as elders, as ministers. We are given authority, and the way we exercise it is absolutely crucial but it's vital for the well-being of the house of God. We need to bring the word of truth. We need to know how to comfort those who are in distress, but we also need to know how to rebuke those who are in disobedience, just like with children. They need to be loved. But one of the most important things about loving your wife, exercising authority in your home, you cannot do it somewhere else. You cannot do it distracted in your business or work or whatever. If you've got children entrusted to you, you need to spend time with your children. You need to be there. Even as the father and the son said to us, I will be with you always. And I would suggest in all of this that we've all failed. Nick, it was so beautiful to see you sitting here with your little son, Joel, and seeing that witness. Thank you. If we have been given children, we're entrusted to raise them in godliness. And the scriptures tell us, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. But you can't suddenly replace it having forgotten to do it in the beginning. You've got to give time to those children. And by the way, if you are married... And this is a bit of a challenge for you younger married couples. God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. 
because he wants godly authority entrusted over those children to raise them up for him. And he wants his church strong and healthy. It's not just from the conversion of people who who are unbelievers. It's the raising up of sinful children to become believers. This is one of the commands of God. And as Mary Harrington beautifully describes in her presentation of feminism, that women have been driven into a different walk of life altogether for the thing that God longs for them to have. And for those who are single among us who, who would love, love to exercise that role, we need to pray for them that they will be able to, like Jim did this morning, praying for godly marriages. I'd like us all to pray, actually, again this morning at the end of this, that God will raise up many godly marriages that he could exercise godly authority in homes, because basically your home is a church, friends. If you're married and you're two together in the name of Jesus, he's there with you. And you can form a church in your home. And we may well need to do this. These buildings may not be here for much longer for us to use. This is the way the world is heading. We need to be prepared. We need to be having a clear vision of how to live under God in the years that lie ahead. And we need to know how to exercise godly authority. And I can tell you this from my experience with my wife. If you get into unity with the Lord Jesus and begin to pray for those children of yours, he will show you all sorts of things that are affecting them, spiritual forces that want to lead them astray. And you'll be able to minister to them and see them come to Jesus. But you've got to know how to do this. There are spiritual forces in this world seeking to lead young people right away from God. And parents are entrusted with the authority, and it is authority, over Satan and demons and everything. For Jesus redeemed godly authority on the cross. Godly authority can only be exercised in fellowship with God. Marriage is a foundation for earthly authority. Man is created in the image of God who is three persons. There is order in the Godhead just as there is order in marriage. Husband is to be the head of his wife. He is to learn under God how to exercise his headship. To take the responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership protection and provision in his home. There is a desperate need to establish godly authority again. Let us pray.